The following message was recorded Sunday, December 10, 2023. Pastor Rick continues his series in the book of Acts. This morning we cover Acts chapter 8 verses 26 through 40. Philip is sent by the Holy Spirit to meet and share the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. And now, here's Pastor Rick. Acts. It's a wonderful thing how you can take the study we're in right now and make it applicable to these seasons, these weeks of Advent. Last week it was hope, and we looked at the hope, the certainty that we have in our salvation. And I use this man in chapter 8 who was saved, highly unusual, uh, as the Holy Spirit is, is progressing, uh, moving forward like a juggernaut. The church, uh, the called out assembly, the Jews at this time, predominantly Jews, to fulfill what Jesus had commanded them to do in one chapter 1, verse 8. What was that? Go ye therefore and be witnesses of mine in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And lo, I am with you always. Isn't that wonderful? Always. Always with us. Now, the witness of Jesus, through the person of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has been witnessing to the Jews there in Jerusalem with regard to the person of Christ, their Messiah, has ended because of their rejection. The national rejection of the Messiah by Israel was predetermined. We talked about that before, haven't we? And we saw that when the persecution now began, and it really got heated up with the persecution of Stephen, we read in chapter 8, go there for a moment, Verse 1, now Saul was consenting to his death, that's Stephen, and that a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So we see that God is fulfilling his plan. Even though the apostles, they were all having a love fest, they didn't want to leave, so God had to bring about this persecution for the purpose of accomplishing his will to bring them to go out into the world. And it's so often that God uses sufferings and tribulations, uses the hardships of our life to accomplish his will, to give us that new heart, to mature us, right? And we saw that Philip was having a great effect. Look at that again in chapter 8. It says that Philip, verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, that both men and women were baptized. And then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Now, who was this Simon? I'm sorry? The sorcerer. Simon the sorcerer. Was he saved? We really don't know. But, you know, there's not a lot of strong evidence for the fact that he was, other than it says that he believed pastuo, which is the word that's used for belief, okay, and that he was baptized. But there didn't seem to be a hunger. When a person is saved, where the Holy Spirit drives you is where? To the Word of God. To seek God with all of your heart through an understanding of His Word. The Word of God brings us to that complete understanding of the God of the Word. And then there'll be a surrender to the will and the purposes and the service of God. And so we didn't see that happen in Simon's life. Now, whether he is saved or not, I don't know for certain. We can't know for certain. And there is an ecclesiastical or church legend with regard to a Simon Magnus. You know who that is? No? And some think that this Simon became that legendary heretic called Simon Magnus. Now, we can't be certain of that either. I've done a lot of research that I looked in and we just don't know. 
uh, for our study last week, I just uh, made the assumption, okay, let's assume that, that he did believe he was baptized, but he kind of got off track for a little while. And then what happened? Peter rebuked him sharply, right? And I said, look, there's, there are times when you need to rebuke people. You know, some of the harshest things I've ever said are to that boy who wrote that wonderful uh, blog this morning or post this morning on this second week of Advent. But there were times when I had to rebuke that boy, and I had to rebuke him sharply sometimes because I hate him, because he's my enemy. Why? Because I love him. I love him. And beloved, if I rebuke you, it's because I love you. And if you rebuke me, I hope it's because you love me. Right? But Peter, Peter rebuked him. And, and I pray and I hope it did have the desired effect where he truly did repent because that's what Peter encouraged him to do. And then he cried out, don't let these things happen to me. Please pray for me. Right? And so whether we were saved or not, I, I don't know for certain. But for this morning's conversation, I just want to present a contrast between this person whose salvation seems to be a counterfeit, Simon, and what seems to be a real salvation experience based upon what we can read here, what we can study, what we can know. And who would that be that I'm going to be talking about? The Ethiopian eunuch. So turn with me, chapter 8, where we left off last time in our study together. In verse 25, and so when they had finished, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem. Who were the they? Peter and John. Thank you. Peter and John were the they. Now, wait a minute. Who, who was the man that God was using primarily to bring about this revival in Samaria? Philip. 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 So where's Philip? He's still in Samaria. Okay, so Philip is still in Samaria. Peter and John are leaving. Okay, uh, relative to, to it's important to our, our study this morning. Testified, preached the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many of the villages of the Samaritans. And I think that's precisely where we're going to find Philip. He's going to be going out throughout Samaria, throughout the villages of the Samaritans, and he's going to be preaching the gospel to them. Now, why would they be so receptive to Philip? There's walls of division being broken down. There should be no discrimination. There should be no prejudice. There should be no walls built up between us. We should truly have a love one for another, right? And what was happening in the early church, this church that was so endowed with the Holy Spirit, never more perfect in its relationship with the Lord for 2,000 years now than that early church, but there was a dispute that arose in the church. Amazingly, who would ever think such a thing? <laughs> and what was the dispute over? The unfair treatment of the Hellenists by the Hebrews, those Jerusalem Jews, those Jews who spoke Aramaic against the Hellenist Jews who spoke Greek, who embraced a little Greek culture, but they were Jews nonetheless. And, and so there was a prejudice against them and discrimination against them. And so to solve the problem, the Holy Spirit gave the apostles wisdom to appoint seven Hellenists over the affairs. And one of the seven was Philip, Stephen, Philip, five others. Right? And so now this, this wall of division, this roadblock is being pushed over by the Holy Spirit. Right? Now there's another division, another roadblock that was put up. Okay, Hellenists are one thing, but these dirty Samaritans, that's another. And isn't it interesting that God would use the Hellenists to open up the door of salvation to the Samaritans? What were, who were Samaritans? What was the problem with Samaritans? 
They were mixed breed. They were mixed breed, right? What, what, what are you, Hungarian and Irish? And German too? Oh my, schnitzel, goulash, and corned beef. Wow, I like them all. <laughs> uh, no, no, not altogether, no, no. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, this wall of division, this roadblock is being pushed over. God is opening up the door of salvation to the Samaritans, just as Jesus said they were, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And he's using Philip primarily because Philip was being discriminated against. But there is no discrimination. There's no partiality with God, is there? God only sees two classes of people. Who are they? Saints and ain'ts. That's it. That's all he sees, right? Yeah. And so we pick it up. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go down to the south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, this was the desert Gaza. It's about 50, 60 miles from Jerusalem. It would be the last Philistine city before you really entered the desert and going on into Egypt, okay? And so who's telling him to do this? An angel. And who told the angel to tell him to do this? Was it the angel's idea? I think the Lord told him to do it. I think there's reason to believe that this angel uh, is, is probably the Holy Spirit in the form of an angel, nonetheless, but the angel is using him. Salvation always begins with who? God. With God, the Holy Spirit. With God. Salvation always begins with God. Salvation. God is the first cause. God is the sustaining cause. God is the final cause of salvation, isn't he? It's God who justifies. It is God who sanctifies. It is God who... Do you believe that? Otherwise, it's not a glorious gospel of grace, right? Hmm. So he told them to go to the desert, to that last, that last uh, city, their major city in the area of the Philistines, Gaza, before you enter the desert area and you go down into Egypt. For this is desert. And so he arose, and he did exactly what God called him. He went. I, I, you know, I, I, would, I mean, it would take a lot of faith in God to leave this revival that's taking place, and you're the agent through which God is bringing about a revival, and now he wants me to go to the desert? What's in the desert? Serpents and scorpions, neither which I am fond of, you know. But he's obedient, not knowing what God wants to do. I was having such a good time in New York, and the Lord has saved me and saved my wife. Well, my wife was saved. I got saved. My son, and I mean, things were such wonderful things. And he said, go to Greenville. Where? Me and three, and I'm this Italian boy's favorite, okay? You know, <laughs> but we do what God commands us to do, right? And then you see the blessing. So immediately he obeyed God, and what had taken place? So he arose and he went, and behold, a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch with great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Hmm. Ethiopia. What do you know about Ethiopia and its relationship to the Jews? What do you know about Ethiopia and why this Ethiopian would even be near the vicinity of Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem? Tell me what you know about Ethiopia. Goes back to Solomon's day? What happened in Solomon's day? The Queen of Sheba came along. Where, where do we get that record? It's, it's in the Old Testament, the historical books. First Kings, chapter 12. First Chronicles, chapter 13. 
The Queen of Sheba heard of the wisdom of Solomon and all of his glory, and she couldn't believe a thing. That can't be true. I have to see this with my own eyes, right? They didn't have all the technology we have today. So she traveled. She took upon herself, and it wasn't the, the Ethiopia we think of today. It's more like Nubia, okay? And it's quite a, a distance of several hundred miles. And so she took that trek, and she went to Jerusalem to meet King Solomon. And what did she find out? I haven't heard the half of it, of your splendor and your kingdom. Wow. And she became a believer in the God of Israel through the wisdom of Solomon. And she left and gave Solomon many gifts. We read that in the text. History teaches, tradition teaches, and there's strong evidence for it, that Solomon gave her a gift too. That Solomon gave her all the desires of her heart. And what gift did he give her? Huh? What? Yeah, he impregnated her. <laughs> she, she had a child. And if you trace Ethiopian Davidic dynasty, they go back to Solomon. Have anybody ever traveled to Ethiopia? Ancient capital of Lalabella? I was there. Oh, gosh, it's been a long time now. Maybe 20. Remember when uh, Quentin Morris and Barbara were here? Her dad was a missionary to Ethiopia, and we went to Ethiopia for three weeks, and we went to Lalabella, to the ancient capital, and we went to the place where the priests were and the guards, and they said, this is where the Ark of the Covenant is. Ever hear that story? It's, but it's not there. They say that's not there. Where do we think the Ark is? Where? Under the Temple Mount. Jeremiah had it in Jeremiah's day. Side note. No charge for that one. Nonetheless, she was impregnated. And tradition, tradition, extra-biblical literature teaches that she did send Solomon's son back to be trained by Solomon in the ways of ancient Hebraism, Judaism. Interesting, this migration of Jews from Africa, specifically from what country that Israel brought them back, did all of the DNA research, took all the tests, and they're all our brethren. Who were they? Ethiopian, Ethiopian Jews. Did you know that? I hope that's not news for you. Thousands. Thousands of Ethiopian Jews have made Aliyah back to Israel, but they can trace their descendancy back to Solomon. Wow. Now, some would say that this Ethiopian is going to be the first Gentile convert, and I say, I don't think so. Now, it's not because of my Italian pride, okay? Because <laughs> I think Cornelius is the first Gentile convert. I think this Ethiopian was part Jew. And that's why he was making this pilgrimage hundreds of miles to worship the God of Israel. But the Bible has something to say about this particular character. What is he? He's a treasurer for Canada. He, 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 he's a controller, okay? The controller, right? <laughs> he holds the purse strings. But what else do we know about him? He's a what? He's a eunuch. What is the Bible? Now, wait a minute. They don't have the New Testament, do they? At this point in time, no. And what do most Jews, if you're going to practice Hebraism, ancient Judaism, there's, there's a certain number of books that you really have to revere and know. And what books would they be? The Torah. The Torah, right? The first five books of Moses. What are they? Good, good, good. Some of you. How about all 66? Can you tell me that? Now, the Torah... The law of Moses has something to say about one who would be a eunuch. Do you know what it has to say? Turn to me to Deuteronomy chapter 23. 
Keep your marker there in Acts 8. Go to Deuteronomy 23. I know I'm going to tell you more than you want to know. I'm sorry. But I'm going to tell you anyway. I enjoyed doing the research. I hope you do. Now, if you go to the, to the Greek text uh, and what it's saying about this man in Acts, he was emasculated. He was a eunuch, okay? And uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23 addresses eunuchs. And what does it say? He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not what? Now, I think he knows the Torah. And I think he may be aware of what God has said with regard to his condition. How does he feel about that? I'm not asking what he thinks. I'm asking what he, how, he, hopeless. Is that what you said, dear? Yeah. yeah, he feels hopeless. There's no hope for me. Is anybody outside of the saving grace of Jesus? No, no, no. But, but here, this, this man, I think he's, he's probably part Jew and Ethiopian. But he's a eunuch. Right now, there's, there's, there's just, he's hopeless. There's no hope for him. But isn't it amazing? He's seeking the Lord nonetheless. Who puts that drive in you to seek the Lord? Who puts that drive in you to seek understanding? Now, the Bible says repeatedly, those who seek me with their whole heart will find me. But who puts that in your heart to seek him? God does. Now listen, that's the first thing that happens when salvation is about to occur. There's such a hunger and a desire to seek and know the truth. I can remember before I got saved, I wanted to know what truth was. Truth didn't mean anything, and particularly in my culture where I grew up. You know, the, the ends justified. You have to lie a little bit, you lie a little bit to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Truth meant nothing. That's why when Pilate talks to Jesus, Pontius Pilate says, what's... What's truth? He lived in that corrupt society. What's today? We can say the same thing, can't we? We're lied to constantly. What's truth? But nonetheless, he was seeking the truth. And he went to Jerusalem to proskunos. That's the word here for worship. He, he went to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. The proskunos. What does it mean? To show your affection and your love, your adoration. It literally means to turn towards and to kiss. In spite of the fact that he wouldn't be able to enter into the congregation of the righteous. He wouldn't be able to go to the temple. But, he, but he's seeking as much as he can be allowed to seek of the knowledge of the Lord. That's the first thing that happens. You become a seeker. You want to know the truth. And I'm so thankful that God put that in my heart to want to know the truth. Isn't that what happened to you too? Isn't it? Yeah. But then we move into the New Testament. Jesus has something to say about eunuchs too, didn't he? What did Jesus say about eunuchs? Yeah, Matthew 19. Turn there. The discussion is about marriage and divorce. 
Does God desire divorce? What's God's attitude towards divorce? Just like he hates sin, right? Does God hate all sin? And divorce is sin, but God hates it. But it happens, doesn't it? And unfortunately, it's happening far too often now because we don't take our vows seriously. We make a vow and we say, unto death, until death should separate us. And blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who keeps their vow, even unto their... But sometimes it's just not possible. It's just not possible. And so divorce does occur. But Jesus gives an allowance for divorce. He makes one exception for divorce. What is that? Immorality. Sexual immorality. Whether the man or the woman is fornicating or adultering, having a sexual relationship with someone outside of their husband or wife. But is that his desire even then? No. What's his desire then? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. God wants to reconcile with the enemy the world and the flesh is trying to destroy. You know, and, and sometimes that's possible. I mean, I, I, I stand here and give testimony of the reconciling power of Jesus Christ in a broken marriage. I broke the marriage. The problem in my first marriage was me. But God gave me a new heart. He kept me here long enough to give me that new heart and to reconcile me to himself and to my wife. I've shared this with some of you before, but her, her family was constantly encouraging her to divorce me. And if she was my daughter, I would have told her to do the same too. But she just believed that it wasn't God's will for her to do that. Thank you, Roberta. Thank you. But here they're talking about marriage and divorce. Take a look. Chapter 19. Verse 8, he said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man and his wife, it's better never to marry. What's the answer to that? Is it better for men never to marry? No, of course not. In the very beginning, God said, it is not good that Nathan be alone. Mm -mm, that boy gets in trouble. I got to give him someone to keep him safe. Governance. <laughs> right? Now, God's general will for most men and women is that they marry. That's his general will. Otherwise, how would the world be populated? Right? How would we produce godly offspring to continue in the knowledge of God, in the understanding of the gospel of grace? Hmm? So that's not what he's saying here. So please don't misunderstand. But he goes on and he responds and he says to his disciples, he said to them, if such is the case of a man and his wife it is better not to marry, Jesus said, verse 11, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it was given. Not everybody's going to be able to accept this. Except what? What is it? What is it? Not being married. Not being married. Yeah, celibacy. Being single, whether you're a man or a woman, okay? All are not willing to accept what I'm going to share with you, this saying, but only those to whom it was, has been given, granted. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who were made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. All right, so we don't know what the case is with this Ethiopian. Was he born a eunuch? Was he made a eunuch? 
or has he voluntarily become celibate because he wants to just focus on God? Paul, the apostle, was he married? Yes? How do you know that? Because he's a Pharisee. Pharisees had to be married, and they had to have had children. Otherwise, how are you going to give advice on marriage and children unless you're Bill Gother? <laughs> That's a joke. You know what I'm talking about? Went over your head? Okay, I'm sorry. How are, you, how are you going to give advice and counsel if you've never experienced marriage and you've never experienced parenting, okay? So Pharisees had to be married, had to have children. So Paul had a wife and he was married. Why was he separated? Why? Be because he accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah and he was disowned. He was disowned by his family. He would have inherited a great amount of wealth. His father was very, very successful, very rich man in Tarshish. He lost his inheritance. He lost his family. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He gained Jesus. Did he lose anything? Did he gain everything? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Now, now Paul was given the gift to remain single by God for the purpose of the gospel to bringing the gospel to the Gentiles and all of the hardship that Paul had. You know, I don't think there's any man that's ever suffered more for the cause of Christ than the Apostle Paul. He gives a list of his suffering, but as I go through the book of Acts, it's not all inclusive. There are many things he suffered that he didn't even mention there that we read. It would have been very difficult for him to bring along a believing wife because of, of his desire to not see her suffer, you see. So he said, I wish that all men were as I am. How's that? Single. But is that God's will? No, no. But, but some men voluntarily remain single, celibate, for the glory of God and for the purpose for which God called them. So we don't know which is the case with this Ethiopian eunuch, but in all probability, he was probably made a eunuch by men to serve in the queen's court. Okay? So a little more understanding into his condition, his hopeless condition. But yet, at the same time, he's seeking God. And the only explanation for the fact that this man is so tenacious in his seeking God is that the Holy Spirit is at work in him, right? And we're going to see the peace of God, the peace with God, the peace of God, the peace in Christ that comes to this man. Look at the text, chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord... God begins. God's the initiator. He's the first cause. He is the sustaining cause. He is the completing cause of salvation. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. What does Philip mean? Lover of horses. Okay, there's an application here too. Saying, arise and go down to the south along the road which goes down to Jerusalem from Gaza. This is desert. And he arose and he went and behold, the man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, who had charge over all of her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship the proskunuos to show his love for God, the God of Israel, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit... The spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. And so Philip ran to him. Now, you ever watch somebody train horses? You ever see how they run around the, the corral with them? You ever see the horse shows where they come out with the horse and the, and the guy handling the horse has to run with the horse as well? You got to be in pretty good shape to do that. You know, you can't be a chabet like me, right? <laughs> so I would imagine that Philip must have had some... Uh, experience with horses, the lover of horses, and so God calls him to run alongside this chariot and, and take, come ahead of it. Now, we know that this man is of great wealth. Why? The Ethiopian. Why? Because 
Huh? He's got his own scroll. Why, is, well, why does that indicate wealth? No, 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 no. Very, 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 very few people. And only, listen to me, only Jews were permitted to buy the scrolls. You wouldn't sell these scrolls to Gentiles. That's, that's my other reasoning for why I think this Ethiopian is part Jew, the descendant of Solomon. But he has the scroll of Isaiah. Now, we're not talking about a minor prophet. It's not that these minor prophets aren't as important as Isaiah. What's the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet? The length of their writings. And so if he had the scroll of, of Amos or, or Joel, right, uh, it would have been much easier, much less expensive. But the scroll of Isaiah, how many chapters in Isaiah? Now, there was no chapter or verse distinctions in the scroll, were there? But now we know that. How many, how many chapters in Isaiah? 66. That's a, that's a major prophet. Six, how, many, how many books in the Bible? Such a coincidence, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? No. Who's, who's the engineer of, the, of Holy Writ? Who's the engineer of the sacred text? The Holy Spirit. First 39 chapters of Isaiah, what do they deal with? Judgment. The impossibility of you winning acceptance before God by your works. The last 27 chapters of Isaiah, what do they deal with? Redemption. The servant of God coming and doing on your behalf what you could never, ever, 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 ever do for yourself. And if you were going to share, all you have is the Old Testament. You don't have the New Testament. And you're in Philip's situation. And you're going to share Jesus with someone who's embraced Hebraism but hasn't embraced Messianic Judaism, what book would you go to? Okay, that's, that's, that's a primary book. Isaiah, and what chapter? 53. Chapter 53. Where else might you go if you're going to just use the Old Testament? And this, this is a good habit for you to get into, especially if you're going to witness the Jews because they don't believe the New Testament, but they believe the Old Testament. What did you say, Tom? Psalm 22. Psalm 22, of course, yeah. Psalm of the Cross. I'd go to the Shepherd's Psalms. There's a number of places we'd go. But here, Philip is running alongside. Now, when a proselyte or a Jew would read a scroll, you didn't read it silently to yourself. How did you read the scriptures? You, you read them out loud. You ever hear God talk to you? God talks to me all the time. He's spoken to me this morning. How has he spoken to me? I read the word out loud, and I hear God talk to me. <laughs> Are you awake this morning? Didn't nobody got that? You want to hear God speak? Read the Bible out loud? You know? And so this eunuch, we don't know his name, but he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading chapter 53, and Philip is running alongside, and he's hearing this, and he's saying, ah, perfect, perfect segue into me. Because whenever anyone is saved and they had this hunger, this thirst, when they had this seeking desire to know truth, they will be brought to the scriptures. Always to the scriptures. Not to experience. You can't base what you believe on experience, although so many do it today. Experiential Christianity leads to heresy. Do you understand that? Do you? Yeah. But you go to the scriptures and the scriptures will always scream of who? Jesus, Jesus. That hunger, that seeking, that thirst will always bring you to the scriptures. The scriptures will always bring you to the centrality of Jesus Christ. 
That's how salvation occurs. This is exactly what's going to happen to this man. Look. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said to Philip, again, this is God, right? In control of the situation, the whole process. Now, now Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. And so Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you know what you are knowing again? That's literally from a Greek translation. Do you know what you are knowing again? Hmm. Do you understand what you're reading? Now, sometimes that happens to us, right? Do you ever read the Bible and you're just reading? And, and you know, you, you know the words on the page that you're reading. You recite the verses, but you have absolutely no idea what they say. You ever happen to you? Sure. It should happen to all of us, you know? And then we pray. And we say, Lord, help me. Take my time. Keeping what king? Context. Keep context king. And then I can come away with an understanding of what God's trying to say to me. You don't need some sage. You don't need some mystical knowledge. I am absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that anyone with a basic intelligence, basic understanding of the English language can read the Bible and come away with an understanding of the basic doctrines of faith. Isn't that true? Happened to me. Happened to you, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, do you understand what you're reading? Do you know what you're knowing again? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? No, he was being honest. I, 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 Who's our guide? Who? How do you know that? Go to John 16. John 16, 13, to the left. One book to the left. 16, 13. 14, 15, 16, John's uh, exposition, Jesus' teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit and his work. What verse did I say? 13. Okay, I'll go there. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, who's the he? The Holy Spirit. When he, the spirit of truth has come, then he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. For all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I say to you that he will take of mine and declare it to you. He never, ever, ever wants this inordinate amount of attention upon himself, does he? No, no. But there are groups that place way too much focus and attention upon the Holy Spirit and not on Jesus, Right? Most Calvary chapels, if you walk into a Calvary chapel, what do they have on the back wall? What do they have on the back wall? A dove. Now, what, what does a dove represent? The Holy Spirit. What should be on the back wall? A cross, representing Christ. Where's the cross? Through the cross, you weren't, you weren't saved through the Holy Spirit, you were saved through the cross of Christ, right? Now, don't shove the dove, okay? <laughs> But, but he wants you to understand and keep him in his proper place and role. All the three persons of the Godhead are all submitted one to another. The Father sent Jesus, but God so loved the world. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes of the truth of what Jesus has accomplished, the will of the Father. Isn't that right? Is that not right? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay, okay. So make sure you understand that. I, I have a guy, I need a guide. Now, I am so thankful. Let me say again, I've said it many times, I stand on the shoulders of giants, and that's why I can see so clear and so far. Do you understand what I mean by that? Now, be honest with me. How many on your own study have discovered what the migdalator is? Someone didn't share it with you. On your own study, you've discovered what the migdalator is. Who's done that? What is this? Like this. That's wonderful. How in the world did that come about? You knew what the migdalator was before anybody shared that with you? You were reading the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. Oh, I read the book. Life and times of Jesus the Messiah. Not all of it, but portions of it that I was interested in. And in particular, over 20-some years ago, I was reading The Life and Times of Jesus of the Messiah by Alfred Edersheim. Anybody familiar with Alfred Edersheim? What was he? He was a Jewish convert. He was a Messianic Jew. He was a Jew who embraced Messianic Judaism. Now, he would say Christianity, right? But, but he was a Jew's Jew, really, but he embraced Jesus. And, and his writings are wonderful. And he's the first one to bring to light those texts in Genesis and Micah with regard to the Migdalator. Now, if you have no idea what the Migdalator is, or I'll need to refresh your memory, then you come Christmas morning. And I'll tell you about that. But the reason why I know that is because I stand on the shoulders of this giant named Edersheim, who told me about the Migdalator. No pun there. <laughs> but isn't that true? Aren't we so thankful? But at the same time, not only do I depend upon those resource volumes that I have, and depending upon what particular aspect of my uh, systematic theology I'm studying, that's who I will go to to reference what's taking place. If, if I want to know about the work of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, I don't read R.C. Sproul. Why wouldn't I read R.C. Sproul? Or even John MacArthur, for that matter. And both men I respect highly. Why would I not read John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul? They're cessationists. They, they believe that what the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased for today, and I cannot deny what the Holy Spirit has done in my life. I can't. I can't say that something I have experienced with God doesn't exist, right? And there are many, many, many people like me. But, but if I want to study soteriology from the point of God's sovereignty, I'll read R.C. Sproul. Fabulous. Fabulous. John MacArthur's Israelology is understanding of dispensational theology where God has a future plan for Israel. Wonderful. Wonderful. And if I want to read about the gifts of the Spirit and the appropriate use of the gifts, I'll read Pastor Chuck Smith. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And if I want to know about the history of Israel, I'll read Edersheim. If I want to go deeper into an understanding of Israelology of the Bible and the Jewishness of the Scriptures, I'll read from all of these Messianic Jews who have opened up a wealth of understanding and knowledge to us. But at the same time, I do not negate the work of the Holy Spirit in my life showing me things. For example, God gives us peace in three forms. There's God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? But God gives us peace in three forms. What are they? Peace. With God, peace. Of God, peace. And the Holy Spirit showed me that all of those are representatives of the Godhead giving me his peace.
Peace with God is God is peace with the Father. Peace of God is peace through the Holy Spirit. And the peace in Jesus is peace with the Son. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. So, so don't negate the fact that the Holy Spirit will speak to you directly as well. Right? Why did I go there? Let's see. He needed a guide. That's why the Holy Spirit's our guide. And so we look to the Holy Spirit. And I was sharing with a young man about uh, getting into a more serious study of the Word of God. And when you study the Word of God, there are so many wonderful resources, commentaries, Bible lexicons, interlinears, uh, uh, dictionaries. I mean, just, just a plethora of resource, volumes. My wall, one wall of my house is covered with them. Well, they're wonderful to increase your understanding. But that's not the first place I go. Inductive Bible study, what is that? That's right. Observation, right? Observe the text. What does the text say? Okay, interpret the text, looking at it from his historical point of view. What's the context? What's the grammatical nuances? Who's speaking to whom about what? And so you look at all of that, and you come away with one what? One, for every single biblical text, there's one technical interpretation. Do you understand that? Using the proper principles of, of Bible study, hermeneutics, okay, you will come away with one technical interpretation for every biblical text. Is that true? Yeah. Right. But what happens to the text? If you torture the text long enough, it'll confess to anything. <laughs> That's what people do, don't they? they? They twist the scriptures to their own destruction warped in their understanding. And that happens, oh boy, more than I care to even think about today. But once I go ahead and observe the text, once I interpret the text, then I can go ahead and apply the text to my life. Now, if I come away with an understanding that, that may be a little strange, and once in a while, pastor will come away with a little understanding that's a little strange, you know, <laughs> I need to go to some more conservative commentaries and see what some of these wonderful men saints who have gone before me, what they have to say about the text, just to make sure I'm not off base. But I always look at the text first, me and my guide. Who's my guide? The Holy Spirit. To try to see and observe. Now, once you start doing that, and you know, sometimes I have to read a text 50 times. You know, Saturday morning, so more often than not, I have to call Darren and say, Darren, where did I leave off Saturday? Because right now we're in Ephesians chapter 1. You know how many times I have read the three chapters of Ephesians? And we've only gotten through the first 14 verses? <laughs> it's just, have you ever done that? Because you read the text and read the text. And, and, and suddenly what happens is things, new, some, things just jump out at you. Wow. It's wonderful. How can I know? How can I know what I'm knowing if I don't have a guide? It's true. He needed the Holy Spirit's guide. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit's teaching so many wonderful men and women throughout church history, aren't you? Yeah. And he asked Philip, come up, sit with me to the place in the scripture which he read as this. This is Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a slam before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? 
Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. I mean, don't you love those open doors? I mean, a fruit is just falling off the tree. You don't have to pick it. <laughs> oh. Who is he speaking of, Philip? Is he speaking of himself or some other man? Orthodox Jews will tell you, chapter 53 is speaking of who? Israel. They'll say, it's, it's, this is about Israel. This is about the nation. Is that what it's speaking about? No. No, 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 no. No. And these Messianic Jews in the first century, Ecclesia, they knew precisely who he was speaking about. It came alive, right? And so beginning here, look what it says. Look at the text. And so the eunuch answered and said, who is he speaking of himself or another man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture preaching Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, listen, there's almost any place you can go in the scriptures and preach Jesus. Is that not true? What did Jesus say in John chapter 5, verse 39? You search the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life, but you don't. Why? He was talking to the Pharisees. He said, because these are they that speak of me. All the scripture, all the Old Testament. Listen, the major theme of scripture, 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, is Jesus. We've got to keep the centrality of Jesus. Your own personal account, it's important. That's your testimony. But get off of you right away and get on to Jesus and what he's going to do, what he has done, what he will do, right? And that's what Philip does. He said, hey, can I tell you how, how Jesus was using, how the Holy Spirit's using me in Samaria, all of the wonders, the works that I did? Huh? I'm a good man, a man of good reputation. I'm full of the Holy Spirit, and God is working signs and wonders through me. Is that Benny Hinn's ministry? Philip doesn't want the attention on himself. The Holy Spirit doesn't want the attention upon himself. All of that to put the attention upon sweet Jesus. Sweet Jesus. Mm. So beginning at this scripture, he preaches Jesus, shares Jesus, teaches Jesus. And we listen. So, so one of the fellows at the men's study, I said, "What do you want? What do you want to pray about?" I, I asked the men to pray for me. What did I ask you to pray for me about? That I won't get dementia. I know some of you think I'm out of my mind, but I don't think I'm yet, and I don't want to get out of my mind. My body can go. I don't want my mind to go. So if you pray for Pastor, you pray one thing: keep his mind, because he's a nut. You know. But this man said, "Pray for. I want. I want boldness." It's a good thing to pray for, isn't it? Boldness and sharing your faith. And I said, you, I pray, Lord God, that you give my brother boldness to live a life that glorifies you. And once in a while, let him use words. Because that's what, listen, that's what the world needs to see. We're in the buckle of the Bible Belt. I can't tell you how many people I run into and they've been, they've been witness to to death, right? They, 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 they've got an inoculation. What, what happens when you get an inoculation? You get, a, you get the needle so you don't get the mumps, right? But you get, a, you get a shot of the real thing just enough so you don't get the real thing, right? And that's what's happened to so many people here in the buck of the Bible Belt. They're inoculated. They, they, they get enough just to get immune to the real thing. But they don't accept the real thing, you know? And why? Because most often they don't see people living Jesus. 
That's what we need to do. And then when we have the opportunity, we'll use words. But it should be my life that preaches Jesus. My life that shares Jesus. Is that not true? Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. And so beginning there, he starts sharing Jesus with him. Oh, it's all God. All God that put that hunger in this man. All God that caused Philip to go down to the desert road of Gaza. All God that tells Philip, go ahead and overtake this chariot. I want you to talk to this man. And you pray for those divine interventions, those, those Christ instances where God brings about these meetings that take place. Hmm? I ran out of eggs this morning. You know, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll get some eggs later. And somebody calls me. Would you like any farm fresh eggs? <laughs> ha! Ha, you know everything, don't you? It's amazing. Amazing. Those Christ instances. Do you think that's a coincidence? No, I don't think so. There's little things, but then there's so big things where you see God and you experience God in so many ways, a multitude of ways every day in our life if we're looking. Is that not true? You do think I'm out of my mind, don't you? Yes, is he speaking of the prophet or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preaching Jesus to him. Now as they went down to the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now all of verse 37 is not in the oldest manuscripts, okay? It was inserted much later. Um, some scribal insertion, probably wanting to make certain that you understand what salvation really is. You know, he's the uh, Paul Washer of his day. <laughs> you know, who Paul Washer is. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, after the first couple hundred years, the early church would not baptize anybody who professed faith for one year. Why would they do that? Especially after 312. Why would they do that? For one year they waited before they baptized anybody. Okay, you say you're Christian, you show me. I listen with my eyes. We'll watch you for one year. See if this is truly sustained. Your belief, your profession, your walk, right? They waited for one year. Why? Because there's so many pretenders. So many counterfeits, like potentially Simon was a counterfeit. There's no real evidence of his salvation that we can conclude from the text we can say, okay, probably, maybe, hopefully, but we can't be certain. But with, with this eunuch, we can be certain. With this Ethiopian, we can be certain. This man was a saved man, seeking through the scriptures and discovering Jesus. What would prevent me from being baptized? His heart is exploding with hope. His heart is exploding with peace. Finally, he settled. Finally, when he thought there was no hope, he was in complete despair. I'm a eunuch. I'm an outcast. It can never fix me. Can you imagine? you ever think that way? Oh, I've confessed to my wife before I got saved, 30 years old, I was such damaged goods. Only God could fix me. Only God could fix you too. Now, he began at chapter 53, and he continued on to the point to where this man was filled with such hope and promise now, such peace 
overcame him because he had peace with God. He's experiencing the peace of God through the Spirit, and now the Spirit is leading to that peace in Christ. Wow! Forget what the Jews say. Forget what the Pharisees say. Forget what's going on in the religiosity. Go to chapter 56 of Isaiah. Go there. It's, it's conceivable that, that Philip took him beyond 53, right? Yes? Now, every, listen, every one of the early believers of the early church, they had such a working knowledge of the Torah. Even the fisherman Peter quotes the Torah constantly, quoting the Old Testament. you got to understand, when they went to Hebrew school, as children, they learned the Torah, okay? So I am certain that Philip, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, brought this man to chapter 56. Let's go there. Chapter 56, the salvation of the Gentiles is the heading of my Bible. Do you have a heading? Those are Gentiles, right? Barbars, dogs, <laughs> us. Thus says the Lord, keep justice, do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness will be revealed. Wow, blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on this. Didn't you teach on that righteousness the other uh, week there, Terry? Hmm? Yeah, did you mention Mikodesh uh, Kem? Jehovah Mikodesh Kem? No? Jehovah Tesidkenu? Did you mention Jehovah Tesidkenu? No? Those are names for God. I'm sorry? No, no, no. I, I, you know, I, don't, I didn't know if you would or not. I mean, I was shocked to know that Amy knew the Migdalator, you know? But we got it from the same source. The Holy Spirit, who gave it to Adam, who gave it to us, right? Jehovah Tzidkenu, what does it mean? The Lord my righteousness. Jehovah, Mikodeshkem. What does that mean? The Lord who sanctifieth me. It's all the Lord's work, salvation. And, and that's what he's referring to. Listen, this is a prophet is going way out into the time of Christ when Christ would come, our righteousness. Okay? Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. What's the Sabbath today? What's the Sabbath today? Sunday morning. There's such a disregard for the Sabbath by most who profess his name. They don't keep the Sabbath. Now, God, listen, it doesn't matter that you don't keep it. It doesn't matter that somebody doesn't hold you accountable for keeping it. God holds you accountable for keeping it. This is the Lord's day. He expects you to show up. My grandfather's name was Alfonso. Alfonso Varigali. Hmm? He was the patriarch of the family. He had nine children. They were married. They had children. Everybody in the family was expected to be somewhere every Sunday afternoon. Where was that? Papa's house. He was a patriarch. And every Sunday, everybody would wait. The, the women, it was, it was one of some of my fondest memories of my childhood was the Sunday feast day. Every Sunday was a feast, was a celebration. It really was. And the women spent all day Saturday in food preparation. And my grandmother would say, okay, everybody, mangia fata grossa. Eat until you're fat. I listened to her. I was a good boy. Right? But you better be there. And if you weren't there, he wanted to know why. He would come to the table with his nice shirt and his tie. Every, every Sunday, he wore a nice shirt and a tie to the table. 
And then everybody would sit. And we'd have dinner together as a family. We'd partake. That's precisely what this day means. Do you understand? Now, I, 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 I so longed to see those days again. And then God showed me. I do, every Sunday. Every Sunday, I'm here with my family. Every Sunday, the family is gathered together with Papa, and we partake of a meal. Isn't that wonderful? But how many people neglect that? Neglect the Sabbath. The, the Sabbath, listen, it may not be important to a lot of people. It's important to God, to the God of the Sabbath, Lord Sabaoth. Study it. You'll see what I'm saying is true. But no regard for it today. No, no, I'm not. I, I know where I am in the text. Thank you. Thank you anyway, because sometimes I do forget, you know. No, I'm not going to say it. I'll let it go. <clears throat> he who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing evil. Verse 3, do not let the son of a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Let not the what? <laughs> Can you imagine when he read this? Listen. As, 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 a, as a man, I didn't cry. I was, I was raised, men don't cry. You didn't. No matter, no matter what, you did not cry. I got saved, and I cried for six months. I still cry. I cry all the time when I think about his love, when I think about that darling of heaven and how he lavished upon me his grace when I am so unworthy. I was an outcast. I can't let the enemy take me into my past. There's a mountain of regret that I have. No, I look to, my, I look to the present, and I look to my future with Jesus. I'm not separated from God anymore. My sins have not separated me. I'm not outside the people of God. I'm not outside the person of God. And this is, listen, can you imagine this eunuch reading this for the first time? Please, put yourself in his sandals. What's happening to you? What's happening to you? Your heart's got to explode with joy. What would prevent me from being baptized? He couldn't be baptized. Nobody in Jerusalem would baptize him. He was an outcast. He was a eunuch. Damaged goods. That's what we were, weren't we? Am I the only one who understands this? It should bring us all to tears. I was damaged goods, and he accepted me anyway. He loved me. And he's given me a place at the table to be with him. Look at this. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord utterly has separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dead tree, a dry tree. And thus says the Lord God to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me, Jesus, who hold fast my covenant, the new covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and with my walls a place and find a name better than that of sons and daughters, and I will give them everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Wow. 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 I am never, ever, ever forget the day he walked into my life. Ever, ever, ever forget it. I can't, I can't, I'll never forget it. I was in a, a beaver-dammed swamp area where I normally would hunt after a night of doing my dirty. 
and had no control over what's taking place in my life. The very things that were controlling me, I had no control over. The things I will not to do, I did. The things I will not to do, you, you know this. Right? How does it go? The things I will to do, I do not. Those things I will not to do, I do. Oh, wretched man, I am. Who can save me? Who can save me? And sitting alongside that beaver, Dan, crying my eyes out because I made a ruin of my life, my marriage. My son was 10. And any child psychologist would say, he's the man he's going to be. And I put things that should never, ever have been in his life, ever. And he met me there. And he said, I accept you. Only because of my grace. Only because of my love for you. And I'll never forget it. I'll never be the same. I'll never have a bad day when I sit and think about my salvation. The joy of his salvation that has come into my life. We'll talk about that joy next week. Let's finish. Chapter 8. Acts. It's all true, beloved. It's all true. It's true because it's in the Bible? No. It's in the Bible because it is true. It is true. What prevents me now from being baptized? If Jesus will accept me, I don't need to worry about anybody else's acceptance. And the eunuch said, see, here's the water. What hinders me from being baptized? And so he continued, he, so he commanded Remember, verse 37 is not in the text. Why? It was an insertion later. Why? Because when Constantine in 312 established Christianity as a state religion, what happened? Overnight, overnight, all of these pagan priests and priestesses became Christians. Were they really? No, no. A lot of different motivation, a lot of different reasons, and that's the same thing that's true today. There's a lot of priests and priestesses, there's a lot of pastors, and, but they're not. They're not. Charlatans. And so the early church had to wait. They wouldn't baptize anybody for a year to make sure that there's evidence of their salvation. It wasn't just an emotional surrender, uh, emotional response, but a really, truly volitional surrender of their life to Jesus, getting a divorce from self and living for Christ. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And now when they came up out of the water, the spirit, here we go, right? The spirit again. Philip, you got more work to do. Wait a minute. What about my follow-up? Wait a minute. We got to go through a discipleship program. Wait a minute. This man. <laughs> now, don't, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I love some of these churches that are so highly organized, you know, and I mean, where's the spirit? Where's room for the Holy Spirit? Someone asked me what Bible college I graduated from yesterday. I'm sorry. I'm just a fisherman. I didn't graduate from Bible college. My teacher was the Holy Spirit. I'm self-taught. So what you see is what you get. And there wasn't any special program or other than what God had determined for me. And even in my study time, you know, I, I, don't, I don't determine what I'm going to study. I said, Holy Spirit, please show me. Give, give me, prick my interest in the area you want me to go now. In my own personal time and study. And he's always done that for me. And I'm so thankful. And it always seems to be so relative to something that's going to come up very soon. Very thankful about that. 
So the spirit caught Philip away. What is that word caught in the Hebrew, in the uh, Greek? Harpazo. What is harpazo? It's, it literally, it means to be snatched up with many G-forces. I mean, you're violently snatched away. It doesn't mean rapture. We, we, it's interpreted in the Latin Vulgate. Harpazo is interpreted in the Latin Vulgate as the word rapturo, right? You got to be a Latino to roll your tongue like that, right? Rapture, right? <laughs> so, listen, the word harpazo means that you're snatched away violently, suddenly, with tremendous G-force. I had a good friend, his name was Mihaly Hatsikazakis. He was literally, literally from the city of Thessalonica. And he was a Greek, big Greek fellow. He had double major mechanical and aerospace engineering. Went to Syracuse University on a scholarship. Now listen to me. You think school is difficult? He went to university on a scholarship at Syracuse, double major, engineering and aerospace, medical, mechanical engineering, aerospace. He had to learn English at the same time. He was doing his studies. He would, he'd say, Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, the only thing I knew to say was apple pie and coffee, apple pie and coffee. Oh, he said, I got so sick and tired of apple pie and coffee. <laughs> uh, he got saved in my pickup truck. I had a little less than pickup truck. He filled the whole cab, you know, on our way down to Charleston. <laughs> I'll never forget it. But he's the one who explained to me what this word really means, harpazo to suddenly be snatched away with such G-force. You know, your faith going, you know, wow. It's going to happen to us one day. But you're not going to feel this, you know. Huh? Suddenly, you know what's going to happen? Anthony, you're going to be sitting there, and the next moment you're going to say, where am I? How did I get here? Is that fast? Is that, is it in, the, in a fraction of a second, in a millisecond, how did I get here? How did you get here? I don't know. What happened? We get there at the same time as the thief on the cross. We get there at the same time as everybody else. Could that be possible? Do you know that's theorized? Right? You say, the man on the cross, what are you doing? How'd you get here? The guy in the middle told me I could come. <laughs> uh, so Philip gets caught away. And so the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing such joy in our hearts for his salvation. Listen, you, you, can't, you can't be depressed. You can't be I suffer from depression every Monday morning because I haven't done the text justice, because I haven't done God justice. But every morning I say, oh, look, I'll be a fool for you. I, I won't. I'll, turn, I'll rip up my resignation letter. If you want me to do this, I'll do it, no matter how foolish I look at times. Because it's for you, Jesus. But all, listen, who doesn't suffer from depression? That black dog Spurgeon would talk about. But how do you defeat that black dog? Not focusing on you. Get your attention off of yourself and put it back on Jesus and the salvation he's afforded us. How could you have a bad day? And then get out of your pajamas, get out of the house and go tell somebody. <laughs> Guaranteed, that's a cure for... The Bible says there's a cause for depression. What does the Bible say the cause is? Anxiety in the heart causes depression. Hopelessness. Despair. 
Is there any reason for any one of us? If you're all saved here this morning, I think all of your faces look familiar to me. Is there any reason for you ever to be depressed, distressed, despondent? No. Do you know the future that awaits us? When are we going to get there, Daddy? When are we going to get there, Daddy? When are we going to get there, Daddy? <laughs> That's why I feel like a kid sometimes, sitting in the back of the car. When are we going to get there, Daddy? When are we get Almost there? <laughs> Don't you? It's such a joy. This man will never, ever, ever away. This Ethiopian will not. You know, uh, Irenaeus, who was he? He was the guy who lived down the street. No, no. You know, I, who was Irenaeus? The disciple of John, the apostle. He was a church father. Irenaeus tells us that this guy becomes a missionary to Ethiopia. He couldn't tell enough Ethiopians about Jesus. He went rejoicing. Rejoice, rejoice. And who's Emmanuel? God with us. Amen? Amen. But Philip was found at Azotis. Azotis is, was Ashdod, another Philistine city. And passing through, he preached in all of the cities until he came to Caesarea, right? Now, how long was Philip in Caesarea? Why do you say that? Like 20 years later, Paul visits him in Caesarea, and they prophesy over Paul, and Philip is still there. Wow, wow. Still in Caesarea ministering. You know? So you got to grow where you're planted, right? Where God plants you, you want to grow. And so he did. Hmm. Isn't that wonderful? Did I finish the text? Okay. Romans 15. Go there for a minute. We'll end here. What time is it? Oh, I got to end. Oh, my. I'm sorry. Hey, you know, you know, listen, most teachers teach for how long? 20 minutes, 20 minutes. But I had another teacher tell me, you can teach longer than 20 minutes. Just let them think it was only 20 minutes. Right? So do you think you've been here an hour? No, of course not. No, it seems like 20 minutes, doesn't it? Yeah. What did I say? Well, except for the people in the nursery. I know, I know, you're right. You're mea culpa, mea culpa. Chapter 15, verse 13. What is the season of Advent? Hope, peace, joy, love. This is my prayer for you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in loving, believing. All right, believe me. You can insert the word loving, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit more and more and more. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Pastor David, you got a closing song? Shall we stand? Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.